Welcome to the EGS podcast. This is episode two. Uh, I am Tom, one of the EGS team members, and joining me today is Jason and Chloe. Obviously, I am the one who does sort of the marketing and some of the behind the scenes stuff. Jason, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I am the director of EGS, um, and I am heavily motivated behind making games that benefit the players. So. Awesome. And uh, Chloe, who wasn't here for the first episode because you was busy partying away, I'm sure. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Sorry. <laughs> partying? Absolutely. Um, That's where I thought you were. I can see it. I yeah. 100% see it. Of course. Uh, so I'm one of the game designers. I recently completed a degree in game design. And I don't know, I'm here for chat designing stuff now it's good that we've got you on for this episode um because i know something that i know me and jason want to delve into and i will be honest jason definitely knows more about your dissertation than i do he probably knows more about my dissertation than i know about <laughs> well we're about to find out <laughs> <laughs> but i wanted to speak about it a little bit so i know there was some speculative design involved um, but i also knew that it was mainly around grief Yes. And so what type of angle did you approach from that and what was your motivations to kind of well, you know, do grief? Well, the reason I decided to do grief was because, well, it's, an, it's a big emotion that we all feel as humans, hmm. but also I think I've, been, I've always been quite connected to it in a sense that I lost both my grandparents at a very young age. And I don't know, it's just something I've always um, been interested by. And because I've recently done quite a bit of counselling to do with losing them, I think that was one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to go down that avenue. I think what was interesting as well about your dissertation in its the whole project was that you were delving into an area that in itself isn't a game. No. Like dealing with grief is something that you go to a counsellor, you might see a therapist, mm. you pay doctors thousands upon thousands to hopefully figure out why it's affecting you and why you're upset. But something we've talked about a lot is games are an avenue to learn more than we give them credit for. People usually stereotypically think that a game is just a bit of release, a bit of entertainment, a bit of a fun. But the reality being, and this is where speculative design comes into play, you can design a game to actually have a purpose. Mm. And your project kind of delved into how to design a game and how to build a framework on getting through grief now i guarantee everybody listening has probably experienced loss at some point in their life and can probably relate to various ways of coping with grief but i don't think many people probably think oh i'll play a game and I think maybe that's partly to do with how what we do, because we do use games for escapism, we do use that as our main source of media, but it's an interesting avenue to actually be able to take that and go, well, can I use that as a therapist, in a sense, right? Mm. Something I think that is interesting is being able to use the medium of games in a helpful way um, to actually support people with their needs and there's something that i mentioned at the beginning i want to help people with games and i think that's kind of where you went with it wasn't it that yeah um you were taught you were 
having your own experiences, you were having something that you were thinking about, and you're like, how can I integrate games into that? And uh, that kind of took you down a lot of avenues, didn't it? Can you sort of talk a little bit about some of the... Well, just expanding on the whole thing about games and escapism. Yeah. One of the things that I used to do growing up was, and this is something I spoke about in my counselling quite a lot, was that I used to play The Sims, I still play The Sims, but I used to play The Sims a lot growing up. And this was around the time that uh, my parents were going through a divorce. And I, I was I remember talking to my therapist about this and I was saying how whenever I played The Sims, I always made it so like the family dynamic in the game was like always like a big family, married married so couple. Kind of like keeping it, your family yeah, together. Yeah, it was almost like keeping some sort of family dynamic together in a game because I, I didn't have that in real life. I remember when you said this before, it was like perfectionism. Yeah. Or like perfecting, having the perfect family. Yeah, and obviously we all know that doesn't exist, but I think... No, being... but I think children want that, don't they? Yeah, And they yeah. see that. I've experienced similar situations where I don't think... My, my parents never split up, but they were close to it. Yeah. And at that point in my life, I was like... I'm painting a picture of my family still held together and you project that onto something and obviously yours was a game in itself and you've brought that into your higher education haven't you you've kind of during your journey of um, becoming a designer tried to integrate what you have learned from video games mm -hmm. and projecting that into your design choices and aspects yeah. that you've then gone on to uh, pursue I mean, you, you've, you've finished your degree, you've completed it, but like a lot of that has been guided around your journey as an individual, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, as well, like previous to game design, I used to do radio. And what used to drive me in radio was I always, because I worked in local radio, but I always was driven by uh, the hard-hitting stories. Because mm. mm. in our particular local radio, it's usually an older audience, but you... I felt like no one was really delving into like the mental health side of things yeah. and that really bothered me being a young person with a lot of older people as well but I think I've always been driven by those sort of deep meaningful subjects and mental health and all of that so that's something that's sort of been with me obviously through my own experiences and <laughs> through my working life I guess so yeah I guess that's why I really wanted to touch upon it in my dissertation. Yeah. And going back to uh, some of the um, skills and that, I suppose, or the, the things that you looked into during your dissertation, was there anything that kind of like stuck out that supported this link between um, grief and gaming? Was there something that kind of brought them two together? or Not that I can specifically remember, okay. I, but the, the research that I had done was on a, a model called the DPM, which is the dual, pro the dual process of coping with bereavement. Right. And that basically looks at two areas. I need to get my phone up because I won't remember all the terms because I am not a fancy pants lecturer. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get there one day. Get there one day. But basically, <laughs> what this model... This is like one of the most up-to-date models, basically, in mm. grief that they're using in psychology. But basically, this model is about loss-oriented and restoration-oriented goals. Right. 
And it basically what it says is a person bounces between these two things to basically manage grief. So for example, loss-oriented would be the grief work, intrusion of grief, breaking bonds. The restoration would be attending to life changes, so if you're, you're losing a loved one, essentially. Um, and doing new things, distraction from grief. So I guess that's kind of an answer to your question. Yeah. Gaming is a distraction from grief, so I guess, yeah, it does hit this. Um, that's model. interesting because it's actually talking um, a further... Because I think a lot of the time if we talk about grief, everyone first goes to a loss of a member of family. Mm. But grief is a step more than that, isn't it? It's not just a loss of a family, and I think that's what that... Was it DPM? The DPM, yeah. Yeah, spoke about is that it's, it's loss in general. Yeah. And we kind of need to find ways to cope with that because once you have a big loss, I think, again, some, everyone can relate to this, it's almost like there's a bit of you missing, isn't there? You've had this normal, complete, 100%, this is who I am, and once that's taken away, you almost need to fill that void that you've internalised, that you've created. And I don't know if other people can relate to this, but I think I do. I don't think I've actually lost anything in some sense like mm. I haven't taken a piece of furniture and thrown it out the window so now I can't sit down yeah you know you lose a member of maybe if you lose a spouse or a child it's a different area but when you lose say a parent or a grandparent that's probably a conversation or a meeting once a week once a month that's not something that you have that affects you day to day but it probably has much more of an impact than your day to day life like if I lost all my forks tomorrow I wouldn't be able to pick up food, <laughs> but I wouldn't feel that, would I? But that's something yeah. that really impacts my life on a day-to-day -day basis compared to losing, say, for instance, my mother, who would then... That's my support. That's my go-to. That's the person that I choose to be like, I need some help. Where can I go for it? Mm. Um, but realistically, I'd probably speak to my mum once a week, and half the time I don't even talk about... <laughs> normal stuff I'm just like hey mum how's the weather <laughs> well, that's also another thing it, it's very kind of ingrained in sort of British culture is you don't talk about it and I think that's what I struggled with also just being a child in the situation like through counselling I learned oh yeah actually as a child that would be really tough to deal with mm. then um, but then that kind of lends itself to games and it's yeah. In itself, doesn't it? Because um, and there's definitely an argument, I think, for both sides here, but you we can utilise games to deal with that cultural problem of we don't talk about the problems. And I think this is something that's really good uh, in game design completely, because we can talk about the problems in an off-handed way that it's not in your face, so how are, your, how are you feeling type thing. Yeah. But give that avenue and then I suppose this is where you would need some sort of dual approach where then you could have that counsellor time to if you do want to talk about it let's talk about it mm. and I think this goes back to uh, what we what we want to talk about which is the speculative design is designing these games for that purpose of kind of trying to um, create an idea that you go for an experience that's a bit of fun and a bit of a distraction, a bit of a filling of the void, so to speak. But you bring it to touch subjects like grief, like loss, um, and even mental health and stuff like that, and try to kind of like 
parallel them together so that they're not directly being confronted mm. and having to deal with that cultural not standard thing. It might be good to touch on at least a little bit what speculative play actually means and then tie it into you know how that can help with escapism and this type of thing that you mean. Because I know it's a very broad thing but I know some people might be listening and when we say speculative play, obviously we know what that means. Yeah. But So, so the, the, the two words there, speculative play and speculative design, they're the same thing basically. Uh, it's just depending on who you're talking to and what context really. But speculative design is creating uh, an eye, uh, talking about a topic, covering an issue, but in a, in a sense, a subtle way not directly it's a very indirect way of explaining something so for instance um if we want to talk about loss and grief and stuff like that we might paint um let's, let's take for instance um not taken away from that other framework that you talked about five stages of grief mm. you get um, i'll probably get them wrong but you get um hang on i'll look them up <laughs> uh Denial. Yeah. I know anger's in there, and I know the last one is acceptance. Yeah, you got bargaining and depression. Bargaining and depression. So, what you can do there is kind of link those into a scenario. So, for instance, you've got anger, that or sorry, denial. Let's start with denial, uh, which is usually the first one. I think most people go through. Yeah. You can very much pretend that you're in a nice, happy location, the sun is shining, it's all beautiful, and then maybe one object in the distance seems out of place. And I think generally in a game, something that's out of place becomes an attraction. You go, ooh, what's that? And you can kind of then be, treat that as like a roadmap of as you get closer to that point, the world and the, the, the thing around you starts to change. And you move into the anger, you move into the depression, and you can see that world develop. And this is something that is good for video games especially. Obviously, films can do it, music can do it as well. It's changing that environment as you're moving from point A to point B. And you're going through those um, those sections of the different denial, anger, depression, etc. Um, I think the thing that, to me, always brings it to video games is that that's an interactive thing. Mm. You, you're not just watching, you're not just viewing it, you are engaging in it. You're being a part of that, and that really drives that um, internal motivation, I think, of like trying mm. to figure out these answers. But you, you're, you're going along this journey from A to B, you're going through these steps, and it's just representing what we're trying to talk talk about in this subject without directly saying, you're in anger, you're in denial, you're depressed... Because I don't think anybody that goes through depression or grief more specifically notices in themselves, oh, I'm angry at the moment. Oh, I'm in denial at the moment. I mean, denial in itself is an oblivious emotion. We don't know we're in denial because we are denying it. Um, so being able to kind of like represent that and relate to people so that people that have experienced that can kind of self-reflect. Um and look at that as a an internal thing is what that speculative design is about it's, it's at its core is just designing something that showcases and allows people to think 
about what it is you are trying to convey mm. and what you're trying to talk about. Like you said, grief is a very good subject that I think has been used a lot in video games. And I would be quite curious to see what people can learn from games they don't think has a speculative design. Because I think it's in every game. Mm. Take Sims, for example. You pointed yeah. it out with your story earlier. It's very much a game that, on its own, it's got nothing. You know, create a family, create a person, live a life. It's, cool. a, it's a sandbox. Yeah. It's up to you to make the game almost. Yeah. But then it became that therapeutic thing. Mm. Um, and that kind of lends itself to that that idea that although that probably wasn't specifically designed in that way, it became that thing. And I think yeah. that's 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 a level of speculative design that is then led by the player, not necessarily the designer. But us as a company that we've talked about, our main goal is then to do that specifically, is to design those games that are on a topic, have a thing that we want to approach, and then just not shove it in your face. Here's depression, here's anxiety, here's mental health. But go on a journey and have this interaction, have this sort of got hand-holding experience that you can um, relate to, really. That's kind of what it's about. So the games that have, like, where you make your own game, almost. Because I don't know why, I think this might be more of, like, a casual audience gamer type of thing. <laughs> but I'm thinking about Grand Theft Auto Online when that came out. <laughs> there wasn't that much to do, actually. <laughs> Um, something that made that really fun was playing it with friends and then you would end up making your own fun because it would be oh I'll drive from over here and then I'll race you across the map and that kind of thing the game didn't tell me to do any of that it just gave me the tools that allowed us to do things like that so is it more of building games that will allow for this sort of dynamic player focused creativity and designing a game around uh, incentivizing that I guess you could say that's one approach right I think that approach is very large on its scale because the games I typically think about in that scenario are very much survival games take yeah, I wanted instance, to go for that example yeah. as well yeah. you, you genuinely find and I think there are several prominent games that I could probably come to mind that they give you the building blocks literally to build what you want and when you think about like Minecraft that has the redstone, people have built an actual computer within the computer yeah. that functions and goes on Google and stuff like that. But like, it's interesting, sorry to cut you off no. there, but it is interesting because the, the game has to allow you to have those kind of moments, but also not handhold you the way through that, but also make sure that the game is fun enough on its own to continue to allow you to continue playing until you get to that point yeah. where you would actually start to kind of go like this and that. Like we can think of survival games that are actually really boring to play at the start so you never actually get to that point. Yeah. But there are other survival games that on the surface look identical like mm -hmm. in how they play, but they're actually way more rewarding and fun in the short term so then you end up getting to that stage. And it would be interesting to know how much hand-holding you would have to do Ooh. in that. Because I think this comes down to how well you introduce the game. So to me, something like Minecraft, for example, is a tutorial for the campaign. For the, what you are given as a player, mm. you are given a tutorial of here's how to put some, here's how to mine some stuff, here's how to go and get this, 
go and find that and as you kind of go through a story it's very small on the grand scale of things but it needs to be yeah because that will ha- hold your hand and slowly let go and then you're left to it and you go find these other things and eventually yeah. i think most people find another pool rather than build one at least now it used to be before they created the you find one well sorry i'm so like out of <laughs> <laughs> it's not you find a ruined pool and then, oh, you, and then you it kind of it, it it shows you that you could build a pool oh, and then you could cool. build it finish it and light it and i i still think the game requires you to know about how a portal works it's yeah. not in a sense of like it will tell you how to open a portal yeah. and then go through it like I, I think a new player could probably play minecraft for a year and not ever open a portal but that that just shows like that's not enough hand holding right mm. like because you need to well yeah you need to go to the, the nether to be able to then advance to the end portal and again finding the end portal is another thing that you can find at any point in the game but no one really tells you how to complete I've never it i even got there that's fine. Um, <laughs> but that's the story. The story is yeah. getting to the end of Dragon yeah, yeah, and yeah. killing it. And that's the, that's the end of the campaign, so to speak, if you, can think, if you compare it to a story-driven game that has a very linear start to finish. But that game opens up a world to just be able to design and play as you want. And like I said, this is an avenue of doing speculative design that is great, but I think some of it is very difficult. And like we said, like you said, it's it's something that's very um, hard to get right, and a lot of people try and get it wrong. Yeah. And I think this is where I want to be different because that's not a designer saying we're going to design it to allow them to develop the world. And maybe maybe for survival games they do. I haven't spoken to someone specifically to know, but they don't really create a game with the idea that anything can be built. They sure. probably, you know, I think Minecraft originally was designed that you'd build a house or you build a, a building yeah. for you to shelter and seek from the, the night and then you'd complete the game. But you could still build what you want. I think when they introduced Redstone, it wasn't a, yeah, we know all the things you can do with it. It's just a very basic um, binary system. It's either given power or not given power and then you know anything about binary and computers and yeah. how they how the intricates work it's very never-ending anyway i mean yeah. computers will always grow because we have it's it's a system that you can infinitely build upon um but the games that i think we've talked about more designing and building is the other one which is very much more hand-holdy you're not really allowing for a lot of player control but you're still giving a little bit of element um in the sense of i think talent trees are probably the best um example of this is Mm. that you have a branching uh route of going i could go down option one or i can go down option two and then that leads to another branch that now it's option a b c or d and depending on which way i go will create my character to be a different way so that if I'm playing a very linear game that has a start and a finish and a story I can still play it multiple times and change the way I'm playing it I think one of the ideas I always love the thought of is I could play an archer or I could play a swordsman things like Skyrim and um, yeah, Bethesda yeah, yeah, games yeah, yeah. that are like you you're very much playing the same story the the quests never change. It's not like you pick up the game tomorrow and be like, oh, I don't remember this quest. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. I'm doing the same start. 
I'm unlocking the same abilities and I'm getting to the same outcome, but how I build my path to get there kind of gives me variations and changes the game enough um, to actually then be able to give more of a, in a sense, a speculative design where there are player agency and you can build upon how you play the game rather than being yeah. told press A, press B, go forwards, go backwards. And this is where when I said earlier I think all games have a speculative design to them is because you have that interaction and that control, I can decide not to go forwards. Mm. And that does give that level of um, I can create suspension and tension which are emotions that a lot of designers talk about through me as a player. Because if I see a big bad guy and I hesitantly walk forward, that's not the game doing that. As far as they're concerned, sure, yeah. you know, the player's going to walk forward and fight the guy. But if I slowly edge forward, I'm creating this tension. You're making me think of the shark in Raft. I think the shark in Raft is a brilliant tool. And what happened? I think it is, but so, it's terrifying if you're scared. <laughs> but this is this is it, right? So Raft, for those who don't know, is a survival game that you just build a boat uh, on water and you float along. A very you, good example of speculative play game. Yeah. Well, yes, I mean, the, again, this is levels of speculative design. We'll get sure. we'll get through to the others um, in a moment. But yeah, it's a good survival game that you can just build what you want. They give you the tools to build and you do it. And in that game is, I'd say, an enemy. Yeah. Because you can put it on peaceful and it's not an enemy anymore. Um, but not that it helps you. <laughs> it's always it, an it, enemy to me. Is it still there, but it's just passive? Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair so um, that, that shark is there as a potential threat. That if you go in the water, it'll attack you. So you can't just swim around and do what you want. And, and the game is built that you can only stay within the raft vicinity. Like there's a there's an area that if you go beyond it, the game will just not load in the world. And I think people have done it before, where the boat has like ridden away from an island, right. and then the island's just unloaded in the game because <laughs> it's it's centered on that raft. What you yeah. have built, you've got to stay with it. So you've got to anchor it. You've got to keep it with you. Um, but that shark is a threat, a constant threat, that realistically it's not even that, it's not going to hurt you. Oh, but no. I feel like <laughs> Say that to a shark's face. Okay? It's terrifying. <laughs> but it's, it's a video game, right? Like, yeah. that shark is never going to hurt you. No, You're it safe. does. <laughs> it does hurt me. But this is something that was designed. It's something that, as, yeah. the, as the designers of that game, they're like, we need some certain level of threat. consistent threat. Yeah. I and can't yeah. even think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like I said, that, that's one avenue. We, and you can go down the levels and get deeper into speculative design because let's take grief that we talked about earlier and my little scenario of the five stages of it. When I paint the picture that everything looks fine and everything's pretty, we don't, ex we don't really expect a day to be... The sun is a nice warm weather, Every the birds are singing. I mean, even now, you know, there's no real ambience to it. Mm. Peace that, that some people kind of look towards a lot of the time. But video games allow for that and they can, can really paint a good picture of like, oh, I feel calm and I feel nice and relaxed. Yeah. And you can just put that odd thing in the distance that sparks that curiosity. 
and guide that player towards it. And if you read into it, and this is this is the important thing, you have to kind of think and you have to really analyse what you're doing in this game to understand the design, um, which I think is a, a, a um, proof of good speculative design. If you, if you just play the game and you don't think you've learned anything, but there's a massive story Which is what you were saying earlier. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there is a big story there and you can take the time to then unpackage that and build upon that. That's that's good. That that's that's to me a good definition of speculative design. So it's it is a lot of the time much more handholdy. Um, take like the life is strange sort of games that are there. There's always a topic in those, and I think they they love something which I quite enjoy as well. You use spells and abilities. Um, the lightest one was all about empathy mm. and like understanding how other is that people true colours. Yeah. Yeah, that so was interesting. That, that is speculative design in the sense that we are talking about empathising with people that go through struggles, that deal with loss. I think they, not to give spoilers, they lost somebody in the game. Yeah. Like, you can really connect and identify with that character and what they're going through. And that's something I think I would love to get behind more of, like, not just having this speculative design in every game that's probably there that does get created through the players playing it, but purposely going out your way to design that. Making sure that when you are designing something that is sandboxy, that you're saying to yourself, no, 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 we want these things to be created. And again, I'm I'm saying it because I've not really had that communication with people and go, oh yeah, that's why they designed this game this way, was that in mind? But... It, need, it almost needs to be on our level of a developer side of things that that's what they're doing. They're um, actively thinking about what they're doing and what they're conveying to players. Because, again, like any source of media, even just the news, it has a impact on everybody. And I've said this, I think I especially said this in my, uh, in my dissertation, which was on speculative design, um, you have to be careful because you can paint the wrong picture. Mm. You can, I mean, we've seen it with media many times, how they can manipulate and push an agenda because maybe they're being talked to, maybe they're being cursed. We don't, you know, don't want to get into the debate of um, that. But you have that power when you talk to the masses to manipulate and to sort of guide their opinion to what you say. I mean, political parties do all the time. They talk about their top of their current agenda, uh, agenda and they focus on that and they really push that so that you as a supporter follow it, believe it. And, and the point you're making there is obviously that the games, as game designers, our whole point is manipulation to yeah. a point. And I kind of just wanted to circle back because it's, it's, I've circled it on my notes because I think it's really important is escapism. Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering, Chloe, when you were saying about that you would play The Sims for sort of escapism, but I'm also thinking about, did you ever have a game in mind that helped you get through something? And you don't have to talk about specifically what the something was. But if there was a game, just because in my head, I remember hearing a games journalist talk about he got over his breakup because he played Firewatch. 
and even though that wasn't like a dating sim game or anything like that, your only companion was someone over the radio. And you had to like build this picture with them and then eventually by sort of like the end of the game you kind of had to part ways. And he said that sort of really helped him get through a breakup. And I was just wondering if you had any games, because I think we all do. Um, but I don't think we spoke about it. I would say, well obviously there's sims, but a lot of games that I also play are farming sims. Mm. Because I've found just the process of like just having your little farm, growing your crops... I think it's very relaxing. To so the repetition and yes, the, the repetition, the, stuff like that. The chill music. Like one of the big ones I used to play was um, Harvest Moon A Wonderful Life on GameCube. Mm. And I used to spend hours in that game just milking my cows, <laughs> growing crops. Because I think it's just that, because for me, if I'm... If I'm stressed, my go-to thing is to play a game to relax. I'm not someone who will go for like a hack and slash, shoot them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vibe. I I need something calm. I'm I'm wondering as well if that lends into the idea of um, expected outcomes. Yeah. So life could be very chaotic. We can all kind of so go. I, I wanted to say that, but I didn't have a good way of bringing it yeah. up. So, yeah, okay. I, so, yeah I've realised. Yeah, into that. I'll, I'll I'll go to work today, and on the way to work, I'm driving along, and there's an accident, and I'm held up. And it's like, oh, I I had I couldn't do anything hmm. to prevent this now ruining my day, and my meeting's now been postponed by an hour, and now I'm going to get home an hour later because I've got an extra hour of work to do. I've got to ring my boss and tell him that I'm going to be late. You know, it it creates a lot of problems. But that's the normal world. Now, video games, well, yes, do have unexpected experiences, but let's take farming sims as an example. That's very, very easy to go, I'm going to plant a seed. That seed is going to grow into a flower. I'm going to harvest that flower. I'm going to feed it to that cow. That cow's going to produce some milk. It's routine repetition and expected outcomes of... I know exactly what I'm doing and what's coming out of it. And that's the thing, actually, just thinking about that. These are probably the sort of games that I've gone to when I've been very depressed. <laughs> and I think, because it's so... Like, depression you don't have any... Or in my experience, I never had any routine. Yeah. It would be lay in bed all day. My partner would have to make me food because I didn't want to eat. But anyway, my routine was to play Stardew Valley. Yeah. Because I, I knew I could get out of bed, I could sit at the telly, I could do my little, my little growing crops and feeding my animals, and that would make me feel okay. I think... And that was escapism. Because this, this is an interesting point to look at in that situation. I think a lot of people would see that and go, oh, they're really depressed, they need to get out of that funk, they need to find something to do, but... Yeah. Something I've heard, but I think really resonates with a lot of people and they don't realise it, is we each have a level of energy in a day. We don't have a scale mm. that we can measure that on and be like, yeah, I've got you know, this amount of energy and it will get me, and I can do this task and that task. We, we just have an amount of energy that does deplete from doing anything. And somebody, especially that's depressed, won't have an, uh, any amount of energy to really do anything they won't mm. get out of bed stuff like that. but giving them something to do that's a video game that's actually giving them some kind of purpose and routine and gut like that is that person now suddenly having a world of energy but not having to expend it like if i had to get up 
walk to town, buy some shopping, bring it back, put it away, do my washing, do this, do that. That's taking physical energy. But moving a few joysticks, pressing a few buttons might give me that internal um, reward of like, I've done something today. But yeah. the reality being is, no, you haven't. No. And we won't argue <laughs> that, like, it is, it is you being, you know, lazy. It is you, you're not doing really anything. But if you spin that instead of looking at it so negatively and saying, oh, these people are just being so lazy. It's like, no, they're doing what they can at the moment. Yeah. With the, the resources that they have, you know, again, it's so easy for us to monetize uh, resources like, oh, I have a thousand pounds and I can spend it on this, this and this. But your energy levels, you don't have that quantifying knowledge. So if you do feel bad, I think something that we should obviously steer towards is not punishing people for feeling bad, for having a bad day, but finding a way of turning that on itself. Because you want, you might then find in, this is worth a, you know, a study case in there, is that giving people that little... And I think we, we looked into a few studies, didn't we? I think um, back in 2019, the... Um, if you remember... I can't remember what it was called, but I think I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, there, there was a study about mental health and people that play video games and stuff like that and the motivations behind it. And obviously there was a lot of um, talk about like escapism and stuff. But taking that day that you really don't feel like it, you do not have the energy to get even get out of bed, giving that person a video game, an escape, a distraction, where they can feel like they have achieved something, might then roll onto then an actual physical, real-world representation. Obviously, there is the addiction levels that people have experienced. There's people that play games way too much, mm. and you have to be sensible about it. But that day that I've got no energy, and I take that, I play that game and I achieve something there, might then inspire me the next day. Because it, it's the same sure. internal emotion, isn't it? Yeah. If I've achieved something outside of a video game, I still get the same flood of emotions that I get from achieving it in the game. And really, as a psychological standpoint, that's all we're trying to do is reinforce that positive influence so that we then don't see ourselves so negatively. And I think, again, this is where I say that video games are perfect to fit into that little niche. And I think we're going to have a split audience on this. Because yes. I think there's going to be people in two different camps. There'll be the people that will see that as we just seen it and how we just laid mm -hmm. it out. But there'll also be the people that kind of see it as a bit sad because it's not real. Yeah. That kind of thing. So I want to just spend just five minutes just giving an example. And then I'd like for people to give their thoughts either to us on our comments section or just people listening that know us and we can talk about it or something like that. But I just, I'd like to hear people's thoughts on it. And um, when I was about 19, I had a very severe motorbike accident. And long story short, it took me about two years before I had to relearn how to walk again. So I was in bed for, I don't know, four months before I could even do anything physically. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't stand up for about six months. Really? And yeah, in this time, I would have physiotherapists come to my house. I would have nurses come to my house. And if I had to go and have to do a checkup, an ambulance would have to come to my house and bring me downstairs because obviously I lived upstairs 
um, in this like uprighted seating position and mm. three paramedics would have to carry me down and up and I could have you know one appointment every week I could have one appointment every other week something like that I couldn't wash by myself I needed help in every regard and something that I used to take so for granted is when you would just go downstairs and just open the fridge just to see what there is and I couldn't even do that. I had to ask my mum to take a picture of the fridge downstairs just so I could have that kind of experience. And the point I'm trying to get at was I felt the definition of the word incapacitated. I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything by myself. And I honestly just hated the position I was in. And I hated my life at that point. Mm. And all I wanted to do was trade lives with someone. And that's when I started playing The Witcher 3. And I traded lives. I, yeah, I traded lives with Geralt of Rivia, the monster slaying demon badass that he is. And everyone had him in such high regards, and there wasn't anything that he couldn't do. And when I was playing that game, I learned a lot about the emotions of other people because you're having to talk to people with like interactive dialogue, and you would have relationships with other people and. I remember vividly there was a point I, I put over a hundred hours into that game because obviously I had nothing else to do but because I wanted to and I remember I had to pause it because a nurse came in because she had to roll me on my side to look at something behind me and I had no dignity at that point because everyone would just see me naked constantly because there was nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had that and like a tear sort of like rolled out of my eye because I couldn't do anything. Yeah. I, I couldn't do anything at all. And that was my situation I was in. And I rolled back, she laid me down and then she said her goodbyes, that kind of thing. And I unpaused the game and I immediately went back to Geralt and I handed in a contract and it was like for a big griffin, big monster, that type of thing. It was like, oh my God, you saved the village and you did this, that, that and that. And then you had a trophy, which was the head of it. And you could hang that on your horse and all that kind of thing. And it made, it made me still feel like I was doing something yeah. that I was worth living for. Kind of gave you back your dignity at that point, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, and just being able to escape into that world. And I'm trying to bring this up because I think my dad's probably one of the hardest people. He's definitely come around on it more now, but the hardest person to see the value in in video games. And I think mm. this was a massive turning point for him when I sort of explained this. And that was sort of the other audience side. Yeah. So anyone who kind of thinks about it being sad because it's not real, take that as an example, and at least my own personal experience. I would like to see if the opinions changed, or if you have a bit more understanding, I guess. I can see people siding with that, not because their opinions change, but because that is a very specific scenario. Because I I would like to be able to relate more to the person that has depression, that can't get up at night uh, in the morning, can't make their bed. You know things we do take for granted Mm. that are so easy to do in a in a sense. But some people do struggle, and um, I think this is this is the thing that again you can you can utilize media for this to to represent to show what is going on internally and if people can relate to what that person is going through 
with the more physical sides mm. with visual elements then you can actually draw that back I think um, I can't think of the example specifically but there's there's games that um, talk about issues that people just don't even realise exist I, I don't want to talk about the topic too much but the the people transitioning from male to female I can't remember what the game was called but there was a game about um, two siblings that had abilities Celeste Oh, no, no, no. They, so, yeah. so they so they were linked psychically and throughout the game you were playing as one or the other and they were going through a story but it shew what struggles somebody that transitioned Tell me why that's the one because they were the same guys who did Life is Strange yeah, yeah. Um, which makes a lot of sense yeah so that showcased what somebody that goes through it's I don't know if it's you know, of course, everything, of course, it might yeah. not be deep enough that like you might need to do various levels of it, but it definitely shows some levels of persecution that somebody transitioning through that will go through. And I think for me, it definitely gave me a perspective that I was able to understand that, well, I, you know, Walked I've not had to learn someone else's yeah, shoes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's it. And um, that's the point, right? Mm. Like, being able to understand what somebody else is going through and actually get that and yeah. empathise with that instead of being quite narrow-minded and going, no, this is my opinion, I think is the way to go with this. And something that, based on your story I was thinking about, is like giving you a game, maybe it was VR, and again, this probably wasn't out when you were that age or it was very hard to get, is where they could have given you those things that you were now unable to do. It's mm. a perfect thing. Yeah. Like we talk about gamification, which is simply simply making something and gamifying it in yeah. in one way or another. Um, I know typically it's through leaderboards and stuff like that, but anyway, gamifying simple things that we do and we take for granted improves people's quality of life. Yeah. Because somebody that can't walk could go out for a walk in this virtual reality experience the uh, and yeah we're probably leagues away from experiencing the wind in your hair and the smell of the fresh flowers and stuff of like course. that but you've got to look at the bigger picture you've got to look at the end goal like it's going to take us a while to get there but that should be what people are looking at like there are tools and instruments available that you took you three people to carry you up and down to do the thing well you could have had some technology which in some sense is a gamified way of doing it because you're using the technology of doing it to in to make that scenario better or easier so that it wasn't costing three people's time yeah which you know at that point you're, you're taking resources from potentially other people and i'm not saying you're doing it in a bad no, no, way no i know what you, you know, mean yeah, yeah. but you know that could be the difference between somebody down the road having a heart attack and dying yeah. because they're still busy with you and if we can, I mean, I, I don't know what that procedure specifically was, but that, like, let's take that could have been easier, or even your recovery could have been quicker if they'd have made a VR game of your house, so you could experience walking yeah, down yeah, yeah, when you said yeah. about the fridge, just open it yeah. up. I I do that all the time. Yeah. I walk into the kitchen, open the fridge, see nothing, close it, go back, sit down. I was like, then get up again. Well, it would do have been it again. interesting <laughs> because I wouldn't have been able to move from the wheelchair. So if I was still upstairs, mm -hmm. but I had like a VR thing, and say, it's almost—it's not really a good example, but it's the one that's come into mind. Say, I used to go to the pub a lot. 
Yeah. And that was something that was just ripped from me. And I lost a lot of friends because of that, because I could no longer even go downstairs, let alone get to the pub. Yeah. So if there was a way that I would still be in my um, wheelchair, but perhaps I had um, like a controller in both hands and I have to mimic the action of walking and I'm in VR and it's like me walking to the pub with a mate who's at home or whatever or standing next to me and kind of walking me through that and they can see on the TV or they're in VR as well. Hmm. It's sort of that that yeah that would have been that would have been a really interesting thought experiment to see how that would have again this this is something that I think was a positive outcome of COVID is that needs create necessity hmm. in the sense that that idea of like you walking down to the pub is achievable through an android for a robot or something or even just having a screen at the pub that you can connect to via Zoom Zoom or something like that that scenario that you could still go and talk to these people down the pub yeah but you don't have to leave the comfort of your home yeah and yeah you are going to have the people that find the loopholes and find and abuse the system but they do that without the technology so you're kind of like you're trying to enable the people that have the ability that don't have the ability to do it but have the necessity without moving too hard into gamifications i'm sure we'll probably save that for another podcast because that's a massive thing in itself (laughs) but the one that's really coming to mind is um i don't know if you ever heard of it but it was a a thing called pain squad and it was basically for children who were going through like terminal illnesses like it was really not a good situation for Mm -hmm. these kids man and Basically, it was set up with an iPad with them. I think it was back in 2013. And they would basically turn the child into a deputy whose goal was to track down and fight pain. <laughs> so something that the kids have to do, every have to do every couple of hours, every day, that type of thing, multiple times, is write down how much pain they're currently experiencing in a scale because then the nurses can work out what medication and blah, blah, blah. But what Pain Squad used to do was that they would turn that into like an investigation that was sort of themed around being a deputy and that. And then they would sort of like write down their pain scale, Mm. but they wouldn't realize they're doing that. It was just a really gamified way. And then by the end of the day, they're like, man, we managed to track down this piece of pain or whatever it was, thanks to you because you're the best one in this squad and that kind of thing. And it had it had real videos of different um, police officers in America that volunteered to do this. And it made each kid something, a pain scale is incredibly depressing, especially as a child, knowing that it's terminal mm. and having to actually write that. But having to do, just changing that in any way. I think... It was more beneficial, and it was really interesting to see what happened with pain that. scales as well. Are very subjective, aren't they? Yeah. Like you, you, you could sit here and ask anybody, like you know, oh, I've banged my knee. Is how is it on a scale of one to ten? And the first thought that's going to go through your mind is what was the most painful experience you ever for, and compare it. At least the one you yeah. can remember. So take somebody that's never hurt themselves, really. You know, bumped a knee, bumped a head. And then they've broken their arm and that's 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 it, that's their yeah. worst experience. They can be like, oh, this knee, oh, it's like when I broke my arm, it's a 10, yeah. it's a 10. But then counter someone that's, I don't know, had a heart attack. I, I couldn't sit here and say what's more painful, a broken arm or a heart attack. I've not had a heart attack, I've had a broken arm. But 
say that is 10 times more painful now that's my comparator so when you come to me and say like oh how's your knee oh it's about three yeah but that could be a broken bone because in yeah. comparison to my broken arm that's the same but comparison to my heart attack nah it's not really that much and for, they, for me when I was going through that accident mm. before that the worst injury that I ever had I think was I scraped my arm falling off my my uh, bicycle mm. that was about it like we're just talking like a, a level above a paper cut right. right and then I broke 15 bones all at the same time mm. yeah that was pelvis spine femur <laughs> shoulder there was several things that went down so it was like laying down was painful because of the shoulder and the spine so standing up so sitting down was painful because mm. of the coccyx and the pelvis and then doing anything was painful because of the leg so it was like no matter what I was doing, was in, I was in pain. So every single hour of every single day, I was like these new sensations of mm. overwhelming pain. And it was, looking back on it now, it was more just interesting than anything. Because it was just, it was new every single time. But I know what you mean. Ever since then, it was sort of, I could stub my toe and I'm like, oh, it's fine, it's whatever. <laughs> this thing, I could walk up to you, punch you, and you'd be like, yeah, you know, it, was, it might have hurt. It, yeah. it might have tickled like a feather. But yeah. it's nothing in comparison to that other one. Whereas... Before that, I could have come up and punched you, and you'd be like, "Oh, that really hurt." And you could, you know, people might make fun of it, but that's where that sort of like you can tell some people haven't felt a lot of pain because yeah. that was that hurt, or maybe they haven't got anything to compare it to. So having something like a game, especially that is a really good um, idea, that a game that can help identify a scale of pain through some sort of gamified way would definitely then improve that whole system. Yeah. Where again, you're not just going up suddenly, how do you feel on a scale of one to 10? Yeah. I said, no, no, no. Like, play this for five minutes. I mean, it, it baffles me that schools are so um, anti-video games. I mean, they're moving into it nowadays. They're, they've certainly started welcoming it a lot more. Mm. But they, they could literally re almost replace the teacher by video games and I'm not saying do that by any means you definitely need the adult responsibility I think uh, my son would definitely go completely nuts if there was a computer game and yeah. he wouldn't eat and he wouldn't sleep uh, and uh, god knows what else could go up to but you can you can kind of be smart about it and improve the quality of life of a lot of people by finding better ways to help assist people especially we, we touched on this last time um people with neurodivergence, people that have learning difficulties like dyslexia and stuff like that, yeah. you, you need to be able to cater for more of an audience. You can't just treat every child like they're the same and expect the same results. Something that we haven't really spoke about much until this point that would be really helpful here is AI. And I think yeah. one of them, like, I remember when I spoke to you about ChatGPT way back at the start of the year, and I remember you said that you would struggle to read a research paper and mm. kind of take it all in at once and you'd have to reread it, reread it, reread it. And something ChatGPT was really good at was you could take massive copy and paste that into ChatGPT and kind of go, can you just summarize the points here in a bullet point fashion? And especially for research reasons, we need to work out quickly 
if this is worth your time to continue reading this piece of paper or if it's going to take you in a different direction or if it's not relevant at all. Because yeah. sometimes the title is not reflective of what it actually is, especially for grief, I'm sure, probably went into quite a lot of tangents. Mm. Um, but One I of liked, the biggest uh, struggles was ironing out the right research paper, wasn't it? I think you, you went down so many avenues. I read so much on grief. <laughs> I, I, remember, I remember you had a lot of references, <laughs> like which was good, but you, I remember you had a lot of references and they were all of different There are so many I didn't use as well because, yeah, I just read so much. But yeah. But I remember with AI and seeing examples of it online, people will do that kind of, can you summarise this? But you can also just go, in Sam L. Jackson's voice. <laughs> and then it would just swear every other sentence. <laughs> it was great. But again, it was like, it took you two seconds to do that. Yeah. And it's incredible that we have the technology to do that now. But, yeah, you actually retain the information because it was funny when you read it. Mm. Because it was unique to you. And I think we could start really utilising that. Instead of seeing it as this... But kids could use this to cheat. It should be, how can kids use this effectively to increase their speed of learning? Well, this is something yeah. that's quite interesting, really, isn't it? Because this is very much going back to when we were talking specifically about like different opinions on video games. Mm. There's a split opinion on artificial intelligence and people yeah. kind of yeah. look at it about laziness and about finding... I mean, the story I always go back to when people start arguing is, oh, is this just because you're lazy and you just it's like, oh, you know think about like the invention of a car you could argue that that was laziness people just didn't want to walk six miles down the road 20 miles down the road 100 miles around the road but it wasn't about that it yeah. was about making those longer journeys those six hour yeah. car journeys that would have took days to walk manageable it's one of those things that you have to have the right outlook on it and stop looking at it as like, oh, it's laziness, oh, it's the wrong thing. And it's, no, it's just about making it more accessible, yeah. making it so that we have bigger opportunities, bigger advantages, because artificial intelligence is very much like the invention of the car in that scenario of like, oh, okay, so some people are going to use it to go to the corner shop down the road when they could have walked that five minutes. Yeah. But also now people are going to be able to cross countries in yeah. hours, not days, not weeks, not months, not years. And it brings people together. And yeah, there's a lot of argument for AI both directions. But the advances we could make by simply cutting down the amount of time spent on yeah. useless avenues. Yeah. And we say that because, again, I could sit there, find 100 research papers and guarantee 10 of them are going to be useful for me. It, and that's just by putting in, you know, searching for this specific idea. But if I've got to read those 90 first, because they're the first in the list, I've got no chronological way of organising that. I'm going to read through paper after paper, spend hours after hours and get nowhere. Yeah. And there's, there is the high likelihood that I'll eventually just give up because it's taking so long. Running it through an AI system where it's like, hey summarize this yeah that's down the right that's you know put it into one part put it into another part and then you could i mean even looking at it like that for the the average person i can now go through 100 papers and find the 10 that are useful now i'll read them yeah now i'll delve into them 
and this is the thing like you just have to be and this is this is where it comes down to the designer control you have to have a sense of limitations of like we can do so much but also reinforce that other side of saying now you've done this i suggest you do that because something i think even chat gpt did was it would reference uh, an article or a paper or something and it but it wouldn't directly tell me everything that's in it yeah it would kind of go you might want to look at this one it, you know it's guiding me in the right direction yeah. not giving me the information for free and that that's more that's the sensibility there isn't it of like okay yes i am speeding up my time and i am condensing what could have took me five weeks to read through it all to one day but now i'm honing in that right direction and I'm not lost looking yeah. for a needle in a haystack for a better word. I think anything that sort of like cuts down time to increase productivity is always a good thing. Yeah. I remember we spoke about this with someone in our Discord about basically the same thing that you just reiterated and the example that I used at that time was was the accountant lazy for using a calculator when calculators first came out mm. and ultimately like it's no because he would have specialised into more effective account, um, accounting yep. and for the price of a £10 calculator or whatever it was at the time, he would then be able to increase his wage massively and then everyone got levelled up yeah. because of this because of this invention. And it was obviously like what you're saying with the car. But I remember that one sticking out to me quite yeah. quite well. It, it, it's that situation that we we can point out the negatives in everything. All day. Yeah. And people really like doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And again, this comes back to uh, speculative design. One of the things I work, looked into is it's it's pointing you towards that self-critical reflection. Mm. And we touched on it last week about the going to university and things like that. It's not about what other people tell you and you just accept it as, as um, what's it called? The truth, you know, yeah. absolute. It's about questioning it it's about thinking about it and coming to your own conclusion to a level and testing it right i mean i guarantee when you did um you you work on grief you weren't just oh yeah that sounds right done you said you went through thousands you know well, not thousands sorry that was a bit of an over exaggeration. i don't know yeah, quite, a, quite a few papers to try and find the right answer yeah and that's the point there, isn't it? It's like you, you just have to kind of speed up that process yeah. of not spending six years Especially trying for to find like the right answer. Big topics of discussion as well. But I remember there was an AI called Patel. I don't know if Jason ever sent it to you or not. But this was really good for sort of researchers. And something that, that we would stumble across would be I think something works this way based on the information that I've had and the experiences that I've had. But it can be really difficult to Google that because mm. it's so subjective to you. Whereas Patel had a really interesting way of talking to it like ChatGPT. And you could lay that out and kind of go, I think that people when they play The Sims and trying to protect, to have that perfect family, is uh, a symbol of their own family dynamics and how much they want things to improve, but maybe because of things that they want to control. Can you find any, any, any 
research ever published that would either support, disprove, or be sort of aligned with that point. And Patel, within a couple of seconds, would be like, yeah, no worries. So in 1970, whatever it was, there was a research that kind of did this and it found that people were doing blah, blah, blah. Then there was another one in 2019 that went on to further support this in relation with video games. And they would say, but in, to counter that point, there was also another one in 2012 that actually went the opposite way. And just by having that, that thought, that you knew was going to be so incredibly hard to articulate in a dissertation because yeah. that's what original thought is. Yeah. It's hard to find references for original thought. And that was a really good way of kind of going, oh, okay, can I, what are the links for those? And then you find the actual research and then you kind of go through it. But that, and again, damn, if schools could actually like really use that. Well, this is the thing. This is about teaching people how to use it properly and not just leaving yes, them with it. Yes, I was about to say that, yeah. And this is something that, again, I'll say, I've probably said it too many times, it comes back to that speculative design, is that you design it to not just regurgitate the information and get give them the job, but actually steer them in the right direction and then you kind of let them get on with it and you, you give them the information to be able to follow that rest on their foot. And, you know, again especially with the artificial intelligence and that there is a level of some people will need that extra level of support and somebody that can't write an essay maybe you know go to the level of extremes they haven't got hands mm -hmm. they can't type on their thing yeah okay there's advancements in technology in verbal written and stuff but they can't do that yes you can say we'll get somebody else to do it but then they're not you know at what level is that plagiarism yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody else is writing the work for me um, but yeah, like having that additional support to be able to kind of push in that direction that um, assists people rather than replaces people. Because again, that's the fear, isn't it, with AI? Is that, oh, we're all going to lose our jobs to computers. On a level, good. I don't know about you, but I don't like working in a stacking crates job. Oh, this yeah. is so terrible. But heaven forbid those artificial intelligence come along and steal yeah. that from me. I think it is worth noting as well that the creative input from humans is really difficult to replace. And mm. that would have a big problem. So like that example that I just gave about researching Patel to find that with The Sims, an AI wouldn't just randomly go, oh, that's an idea. I'm yeah. going to run with that. It, it doesn't do that. It, it, it can't do that. And if you program it to try, it will just keep having really bad examples. Yeah. And it will, in, granted, it will be able to do thousands of those per minute until it can find something well, good, which is yeah. where it kind of, that's where we're that's interested to see which one, yeah. But whereas we can have that kind of thought, whereas if you try and get an AI to do that, then it will kind of go, what about if bananas were blue? And then we can look at that and kind of go, who cares? Like, but an AI will kind of go, I'm going to go find 5 million studies that will then back this up and then I can make... Whereas what I kind of said was more of like a hard-hitting thing that everyone who kind of... Hopefully everyone that listened to that was like, hmm, it's quite an interesting point. And then get an AI to sort of give that to AI and then let it do the rest to help with that. But yeah, waiting for it to just completely replace human thought is what I'm trying to well, say. Well, this is the is thing, because really the, the, the scaremonger approach to it is that the robots are going to rise up and kill us all. And it's like, 
I, I can envision the robots killing every human, but the only way it's going to do that, <laughs> the only way it's going to do that is a human tells it to. Yeah. yeah. It's not going to be driven by the robot's yeah. desire because they don't have one. Yeah. yeah. They And maybe there's an argument that eventually they might get to the point where they can have a desire. Which is true artificial intelligence. Yeah. yeah. But when, when, we're, when we're mentioning about AI, we really don't have... An artificial inter- it doesn't do anything on its own yeah. it does something with user input yes. yeah. it requires something from us so if I'm spending five minutes telling it what to do and how, where to go and how to where to steer this that wouldn't have happened without me Yeah. so you turning around and saying no that robot's you know taking over the world because it's be- no 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 it is being guided it is being steered it is just speeding up the process in which we, and in this day and age, in this world, we need that. that yeah. You know, let's go as far as let's talk about COVID. You know, if if a computer can run through so many simulations in minutes that we now don't have to test it yeah. on humans to even find a remote cure, and we've done that in minutes and we've cured that, that stopped the pandemic that stopped the isolation that stopped all the negatives that we have constantly harped on about see, um, just just building on that with a real example I can think of did you ever um, see a company called Folding at Home no it was something that Linus Tech Tips pushed like in 2020 or something like that and um, it basically meant everyone who had a good gaming PC with a graphics card could really help here because that's what it needed mm. And it would basically make simulations of protons. And the whole point was to try and find a combination of protons that would help towards um, vaccines, Mm. basically. And uh, and I remember this was like, if you want to help COVID and you have a good gaming PC and you're happy letting it run overnight on something, download this program and it will do a bunch of things. And then if it finds something of interest, then it will push that higher. Mm. And uh, and over time, they had so many people sign up, and their the amount of simulations they could run increased by thousands of percent. And it wasn't directly with COVID, but it was for other sort yeah. of things like that. And then people figured out what Bitcoin was, and they stopped doing that and started mining Bitcoin. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> Bitcoin actually Chucks. gives you money. <laughs> well, again, this this is so. I don't really want to talk too much about this, but the idea that if we can get the robots to do the majority of our work and we can give ourselves a minimum wage that is, this is allowing you to live, have a roof over yeah. your necessities met, a little bit of luxury so you're not bored out of your brain all the time, but then you have the choice to work, to yes. do the extra yeah. stuff, to actually be able to you know, enhance your life at that point. It, it is an idealistic thing, but the reality being is it's such a sensible way of doing it because take, for example, a really dangerous job that we still do at the moment, which is oil rig, um, the people that go out to the oil rigs and work on them. I don't know what the statistics are, but I guarantee people die on that quite regularly. And yeah. that's a life... Hazard pay is a real thing. Yeah. And if we didn't have to do that, yeah. all them people would get a life. <laughs> that sounds so well. No, <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> Jeez, oh, get alive! But the reality being is, they can actually live. And I, this is a reflection of my own personal life. It's like being a quote unquote slave to 
the 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 standards of like you get up, you go to work, you society. go home. Yeah, society. Thank you. Um, it's such a negative thing because you just don't live your own life. If you don't have the money to just retire at the age of twenty five type thing, you are going to live some like for somebody else, for other people for a long time. You become a parent. Your responsibility comes them. Nothing else. You work. You look after kids. Then all you do in your own time is sleep. Yeah. And you know, then we wonder about things like depression and anxiety and stuff like that. And why it's creeping up? Because like the reality being is, if I can sit here and earn a bit of money and not have to do spend eight hours a day working or twelve yeah. hours, whatever your shift is, you know, and I can just do what in a level of I want to do, my mood's going to change. I'm going to be much happier. I'm going to deal with things a lot better. Be a more productive member of society. Yeah. That is interesting because we, we just to touch on that, the idea was um, that any company that's sort of profiting off of AI, not in a negative way, like this isn't a negative thing, but it's just companies that do a lot with AI and they're able to profit off of it. The idea is that you should be able to tax those companies extremely high. We're talking sort of 80 to 90%. And then you can reallocate that tax money to go towards more of a universal basic income for a lot of people that lost their job. Take, and you people can kind of go, oh, well, that will never happen. Self-checkout yeah. at any supermarket, no matter how big it is, generally it's there. It, it may not work amazing, granted, but that made a lot of people redundant. Yeah. And this is happening well, a they've lot. recently brought out a supermarket that is completely controlled by robots. The problem is it has to be designed for robots. A, a, a yeah. supermarket that is designed for people will never work for robots. And that's a transition period that you're going to run into. But that getting to that level of, yeah, if we could get rid of all of those jobs so that your supermarket experience was a lot quicker, a lot... Because let's face it, like, going to the store take you a couple of hours, you've got travel time there and back, you've then got to put all your shopping away. If we can condense that to a 15-minute... You know, yes... We already have home week, delivery. Well, yeah, but yes, once a week, that's, you know, inconvenient. Yeah. But over your lifetime, that's a lot of time. Yeah, you yeah, could yeah, yeah, yeah. Pursue your own yeah. thing, do what you want to do, enjoy your own life. Something that I remember seeing um, a lot of people that have made it, you know, and they're able to sort of like have cleaners now and, and stuff like that was low level, but like people that have like really made it in life so they can afford to have a lot of things. M pretty much most of them that I've seen when they talk all have a common thread. And one of the things that they sorted out first was a nutritionist. Mm. to really work I'll out yeah who <laughs> well, it's, not, it's who you are because everyone's diet is different but everyone's dna is different so like you're you're different down to the cells so yeah. you you need to figure that out and having a nutritionist will take your blood work they'll take your exercise levels that you do they take the type of job Ooh. that you do blah 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 and then they're able to build proper meals and then obviously the person would then have a chef to then kind of make I'd so have a chef yeah, as a, <laughs> I as would a, love a chef but it's that type of thing that could get done with AI yeah. like other than the blood work obviously but well, no, like, the blood so, work's easy because you've got them finger prick machines that can take a sample oh I suppose but I mean I mean yeah. you go to some extreme I think some movies have actually showcased but it more, you... but more what I'm saying with that is if you could have an AI assistant to help with your diet alone 
anyone yeah. who's had stints of going to the gym regularly and eating good and they kind of go those are the best years ever because I felt so healthy I felt so clean it's true it does happen you are what you eat at the end of the day so if you could have an AI system that helps with that and then how maybe pushes more towards a good workout planner for you and things that you can do those are two two jobs that not only are very cheap because it's AI now that would massively improve your life that also made a lot of people redundant so it goes back to the original well, again, you're saying. you're going into the level of like well let's do it with nurses and stuff and I'm not saying you know the ones in the A&E and stuff like that yeah. but the, the it takes some people weeks to get a doctor's appointment months to get a doctor's appointment my local one you have to ring up at the beginning of the day and if you don't do it that's it try again tomorrow type thing yeah um and to be able to kind of have that person that can initially run through and check your symptoms yes you're going to need a level of intelligence of think above what we kind of have at the moment yeah. because but it wouldn't be long but i know what you mean i know if you go online and start googling your symptoms you're probably telling yourself you got cancer and this that the other when in fact you know you might just be needing a bit of iron today um <laughs> i think a lot of people are guilty of that I, I myself definitely have googled my symptoms and then gone to the doctor and be like that was a mistake shouldn't have done that yeah um but equally then there's the other times like people talk about um getting checked on your moles and things like that regularly if we could just take that out yeah. like the yeah. amount of people with skin cancer that might actually be able to get cured before it gets too late yeah you know well, even like not just for sort of like first world countries but sort of like more underdeveloped countries yeah. introducing because it's a AI much cheaper way of doing so it, isn't cheap it? Yeah. yeah in comparison that would really help and what something I, I wanted to bring up earlier but I forgot to bring it up but one of them was bringing like education to the masses through having VR yeah. Yeah. and that kind of thing. So like say if you was in your your box with your family, like it's barely even a room at that point. Mm. And you know, your family's out all the time because they're trying their hardest just to make enough money for the family. But having this, because it would only take a couple of years when we could make that for next to nothing. And just being able to pop that on and then you go to like this virtual classroom and it would teach you about some basic maths, some English, go to the GCSE stuff and go through all that and you don't even have to leave the bedroom because you might not be able to do that economically or even healthily. Well, again, this, this comes back to that. Um, there's the advantages that we need to stop looking at the negatives so strictly and being mm, like, yeah, yeah. you know, oh, if we replace teachers, it's going to get rid of jobs. Yeah, but look at how many people are around the world. And again, look at, the, there's probably a statistic out there based on the eight, nine billion people in this world, how many of them are teachers? That's not like... And, well, we you had know, tutors and that didn't replace teachers necessarily. It really helped enhance, actually. But you can you can literally sit there and realise that if we could bring education to everybody on the world, you're going to improve people's quality yes. of life. Well, this is like... Elon Musk bring said this a little while ago. He was kind of saying that... Um, and fun fact, we actually spoke about this in our first podcast that accidentally got deleted at the end. But it was basically along the lines of, he kind of said, we have no idea what human potential there is in the world. Mm. And you could have quite possibly the world's smartest person ruined who will never make it because they're ruined by circumstances, yeah. exactly. And by bringing education to the masses as affordably and as cheaply as possible and trying to build up absolutely everyone and giving people the, the abundance of opportunity 
our world would scale up so quickly. And it already is, and it is improving, obviously. Yeah. But, yeah. That's, that's it, isn't it? And without the advancements that do have to go down a rocky journey, and yet, again, we can point out a negative, but without this negative, without this fail, fail faster method that we talked about last time, you're not going to get to that level of improvement yeah. quality that we it's want to actually trying, do. man. Yeah. We, we could bring the level of education to every person on the planet and no matter what your financial position is, no matter where you live. And yeah, yeah of course there's going to be technological failures and problems, but missing one day of school yeah. compared to never having school in your entire life. Yeah. I think that's it, you know. I'd rather get. Oh, even I need an engineer out. If and it's going to be in yeah, next if month. If the technology <laughs> didn't work twenty percent of the time, I'd take eighty percent of education over hundred yeah. percent of none. Yeah, exactly. Again, that that's probably the perfect analogy that people should probably think about in that scenario. Is like you go, oh, well, this is going to go wrong. That's going to go wrong. Yeah, but something going wrong for something else to go right. Yeah. Compared to everything going wrong. Yeah. The maths is there, really, isn't it? That it's just you're going to you're going to favour having the ability to um, reach more people is far better than not helping anybody at all. Very true. And the world's a massive place. Mm. There's eight billion people on the planet. And speaking of eight billion people on the planet, I hope that was eight <laughs> billion people listening to this podcast. <laughs> 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 this has been the EGS podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, obviously, follow us on all the socials. Thank you, Chloe, for joining us this episode. Thank you. Thank you, Jason, for joining this episode. Thank you. Thank you, Tom, for joining this episode. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> I'll see you all next time. Thank you very much. Take care.